Lord, we love you and bless you today. We're honored to be in your house. We're honored to be your people. We're honored to be in your presence. Lord Jesus, we're thankful today that your word is true, that when your people gather in your name, you join them in the midst of them. We thank you, Lord, that we're not simply gathered here on earth longing for a day that we'll be around your throne in heaven. Lord, right now in a way that we can't quite get our heads around, we are already around the throne in your presence because you are with us. Father, we ask today that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would come, that, Lord, you would elevate our vision, you would lift our hearts, you would help us to see that we are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've elevated us to sit with you. Lord, let us feel it and sense it and know it today. Let it change everything about us. We'll bless you. Help us, Lord, today as we focus our attention on you, as we very deliberately turn away from all the things that would distract us and just for a moment gaze on the beauty, think on the glory of who you are. Lord, let our hearts be captured by that. We'll bless you. We'll love you. We'll thank you. In Jesus' name. One more time. Sing that chorus to the Lord one more time. Holy, holy. standing here the word of the Lord today thank you team for leading us into his presence today Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 8 very familiar ground hear the word of the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above it stood seraphim each had six wings with two he covered his face And with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send 
me. May God bless the reading of his word. Me as I share it in Jesus' name and his people said, amen. You can be seated this morning, amen. Give the Lord one more great hand of praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Moments in your presence, amen. Amen. Have you ever tried watching a 3D movie without the 3D glasses? I don't know about you, but whenever I slip into a 3D movie, I'm often tempted to pull the glasses down and see how different it is without them than it is with them on. And if you've ever done that, if you've ever sneaked a peek, I can tell you it is quite a difference indeed. It's very different. If you watch a 3D movie without the glasses, it's flat and unimpressive. Parts of it are even a little blurry, and you can't always make out what certain images are. But when you put the glasses on, everything changes. The scene before you that was dull and boring a moment ago suddenly comes to life. The images that were blurry become crystal clear. And in that moment, you don't just feel like you're watching the movie. You feel like you're in the movie because things aren't just moving on the screen in front of you. Things are jumping out at you and you feel like it's happening all around you. If you've never done that, I invite you to go to one. If you're old school holiness and don't believe in watching movies, we'll go to the IMAX and watch one of the nature films, and it's the same effect, amen? And those, I can assure you, are allowed, all right? Amen. There's something about experiencing it in 3D. Can I tell you today, I believe that's what happened to Isaiah in the passage that we just read. He had heard all his life about God and his glory and his holiness and his majesty and his splendor. But on this day, when Isaiah was standing in the temple of the Lord, God suddenly dropped the 3D glasses on his eyes. And he encountered and experienced in living color what it was like to be in the immediate presence of God. And I believe that's what God wants to do for us in the new year. He wants us to experience his presence in 3D. Amen? So I want to talk to you today about seeing in 3D. As we begin our new year series called New Year's Revolution, it's time for change. Amen? And I believe it is time for change in our lives. We don't just need a goal. We need a change. We don't need a resolution. We need a revolution. We need God to change some things in our life. And it begins by learning how to see in 3D. And I believe there are three questions that will help us do that in the new year. And they come right out of the text, right out of the passage that we just read together. I want you to notice there are three verbs, three action words that Isaiah does in these verses. And they give us our three questions today. In verse 1, Isaiah said, I saw. Say, I saw. In verse 5, Isaiah says, I said. Say, I said. And in verse 8, Isaiah says, I heard. Say, I heard. So I want to ask you today, spiritually speaking, what are you seeing? What are you saying? And what are you hearing? And I want us to unpack that today as we walk our way through the text today. And the first question is, what are you seeing? Say that with me. What are you seeing? Verse 1 says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. What was Isaiah seeing? He was seeing God. He was seeing God's throne. He was seeing the Lord high and exalted. God had his attention. God had his focus. God had him by the heart. He was paying attention to the Lord. His focus was on God. He was seeing the Lord high and lifted up on his throne. These first four verses make it very clear what Isaiah was seeing. Number one, he saw an occupied throne. 
an occupied throne. The throne in heaven was occupied. Now why does that matter? Because the opening line says, in the year that King Uzziah died, the throne in Jerusalem was vacant, but the throne in heaven was still occupied. And Isaiah, if he wasn't careful, was going to get so focused on the fact that King Uzziah died that he would forget that the Lord, the King of Heaven, still lived and still reigned and ruled from his throne. And so Isaiah needed to be reminded of that. The throne was occupied. Uzziah was down in the grave, but God was still high and lifted up on the throne, ruling and reigning in power. Amen? So there was an, there was an occupied throne. And there was an omnipotent king. Notice that with me. The Bible says, I saw him high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I love that part, and here's why. There was a tradition in the ancient Near East that whenever two kingdoms would go to war and one kingdom defeated the other, they would capture the king. And the defeated king was brought before the conquering king, and they would do something. They would cut off the train of the defeated king's robe. You know what a train is. It's the long thing that flows down behind. And the longer the robe, the more majestic the king and rich and wealthy the kingdom. When a king was defeated, they would cut off his robe, the, the corner of his robe. They would cut off the train. And they would sew it onto the back of the conquering king's train. So whenever you saw a king, you would see his train. And if he had defeated anyone, you would see the train of the king he had defeated. And every time you would see a new piece of fabric, it represented another enemy that had been defeated, another kingdom that he had conquered. Now read the passage again. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What does that mean? It meant that God had defeated so many enemies. God had conquered so many opponents. God's kingdom had overwhelmed so many other kingdoms that the train of his robe, the, the story of his victory filled the whole temple. Now, why does, should that impress you? Because he's standing in Solomon's temple, and Solomon's temple is 180 feet long, 90 feet wide, and 50 feet high. It's a three-story building, and God is so victorious that the train of his robe filled up every bit of a three-story building. That's our God. That's the one we worship. He is an omnipotent king. We're going to see a victory because our king is the victorious warrior who's never lost a battle and always wins when he engages in war. Give God praise in his house today. Give him a hand to praise and worship. So we have an occupied throne and we have, a, we, we, have, we have an omnipotent king who's conquered his enemies and we have an overwhelming holiness that Isaiah sees. Notice this, the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the pillars shake and when he looks at these seraphim, these angels that are around the throne, the Hebrew word means burning ones. Uh, it's the same word used for fiery serpents. Makes you wonder what these things looked like, right? Dragons? Are they people? Who knows? I don't know what they look like. Maybe they're the four beasts from Revelation that we read about. But the Bible does tell us this about them. They've got three pair of wings, and with two they cover their feet. Your feet are a sign that you are created. God lives in heaven. You live on the earth, so you need feet, right? Your feet are a sign of your creatureliness and a sign of your humility, that you're not God. And so they cover those because they're embarrassed by them. They cover their feet as a sign of their humility. And with two of their wings, they fly. That's natural. That's what wings do, right? Unless you're an ostrich, they fly. <laughs> 
But with the other two wings, they cover their face. They cover their face. Notice that. If you look at the artwork from the ancient world, other people who worshipped false gods, the pagans who worshipped gods that weren't real, they would often in their temples have paintings or statues of their god. And the way they depicted it was this. You would have the god that they worshipped, and it would have seraphs or these angels around them, only they had their wings stretched out over the throne to protect the god, lowercase g, to protect the little god from the enemies who would come and approach it. How different that is from the passage that you and I just read. When we look at God, our God, the Holy One who sits on the throne, the angels are there. But they're not using their wings to cover God and protect God from his enemies. No, God is so glorious and so holy and so mighty and so powerful. They're covering their face to protect their eyes from the glory of God. God doesn't need the angels to protect him. The angels have to protect themselves from the glorious radiance of God. He is the Holy One. There is no one like Him in all the universe. There are other spiritual beings in the universe, but there are none on par with God. Not even close. Not even close. And even the angels, the Holy Ones in heaven, have to shield their face from the blinding holiness of the God that you and I serve. Wow. Did you notice the setting for this? Where does it happen? It happens in the temple. Solomon's temple. He has this vision standing there. Isaiah's a priest, and so he's allowed to be in the temple. And while he's there, God opens his eyes. Something happens to Isaiah. He has a revelation standing in the house of God. And I want to submit to you today, that's why worship is so important. Worship is important because it opens our eyes. Worship is important because we get a revelation of who God is in worship. We see and understand the truth about God when we worship in a way that we don't any other time. It's not enough just to read about God or to hear about God. You don't really encounter God until you worship Him. But when we worship Him, we encounter Him because God shows up when His people worship Him. Amen? He inhabits the praises of His people. The Bible says whenever we gather in His name, He's in the midst of us. God comes to church, not just us. He comes also. But standing in the temple, he had this encounter with God, and worship allowed him to enter in. Worship centers us. Worship grounds us in reality. Worship anchors us in what is true. Because we live in a world all week long that tries to distract us from what is real and what is true. It's important for us to come into God's house every week and be reminded and get our heads sort of screwed back on straight and blow the fog out and remember what the truth is. That there is a God who reigns in heaven, who created the earth, who is holy and righteous, and who gave his son to save us from our sins and bring us into right relationship with himself. Who is coming again one day to establish his kingdom and rule on the earth forever and ever. And worship reminds us of these great truths. Whatever has your attention has you. Say that with me. Whatever has your attention has you. You are what you think about all day long. You are the sum of your thoughts. If all you see is the news, you're missing the big picture. You're not seeing life in 3D like God wants you to. If you're overly focused on the election results or the stimulus bill or the rollout of the vaccine in our country, then your focus is off. You need to put your 3D glasses on and look through them and see life in living color. Our Listen, those things are just the commercials. You're missing the movie if that's all you're paying attention to. And Jesus 
warns us in the last days there will be lots to distract us from the truth that he reigns and that he is returning again. In Luke, Jesus warns us of it. Luke 21, 34 and 35, he says, Take heed, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day, the day of his return, that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. In other words, Jesus says, if you're not careful, you won't be ready for the Lord's return because your heart gets distracted by things. What kind of things distract your heart? Well, he tells us here, carousing. You can get so busy partying and hanging out with people that you don't spend any time focusing on the Lord. Drunkenness. Some people don't ever focus on the Lord because they're too addicted to the things of this earth. Drugs and alcohol and sexual pleasure and all sorts of things, gambling and other things that suck them in and they have no time or energy for God because all their spare time, attention, and energy is given to this false God of addiction, drunkenness. And then notice the third one though, the cares of this life. We love for the preacher to preach about drunkenness because most of us aren't drunk, right? But this third one hits all of us. Just the daily busyness and the cares of life are enough to distract us and make us unprepared for the coming of the Lord. We don't pay attention. We lose our focus. Jesus said it in Matthew 24 again. He talks about it being like the days of Noah. In other words, everything was going on like normal and suddenly... The judgment came. Listen to what Jesus says. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wow. Life was going on like normal. Lots of busyness. Lots of things happening. Lots of things to prepare for. Lots of plans being made for the future. And then suddenly there's this divine interruption that throws the calendar into the garbage and God goes a completely different direction. I want to tell you that's how it will be when the Lord returns. Unexpected for many people because they're too distracted by the things of this life to be focusing on eternity and on God. How do we not stay distracted? How do we keep our focus on the Lord? Well, the first way is right here. You start each week in worship and you start each day in prayer. You hear me? We start every week in public worship and we start every day in private prayer. And those disciplines will anchor your heart. Those disciplines will center your life on God. Those disciplines will help keep you awake and focused on the Lord. Uh, in our day, we have this thing that we finally put a label on it called attention deficit disorder. Uh, I don't think it's a disorder. I think it's a different operating system. Some of us are just wired that way. Amen. And I think most boys and a few girls are wired that way. And it's just how we are. All it means is this. We notice every squirrel that runs through anywhere. <laughs> and we're easily distracted, right? And in order for us to focus and pay attention, it's harder for us to tune out other things that catch our attention. And what we have to do is we have to hyper-focus. Say hyper-focus. means we have to work really hard to focus down and, and 
push out the other things that are vying for our attention, the other things that are competing for our focus. We have to very deliberately push them out and focus in, and it takes a lot of energy for us to do that. I want to tell you that I believe as Christians, most of us are spiritually attention deficit. (laughs) And if we don't give ourselves to the discipline of worship and prayer, we will get distracted And our eyes and our minds and our hearts will not stay fixed on God for very long. But daily prayer and weekly worship help keep our hearts focused on God. So I want to ask you today, what are you seeing? Are you seeing what Isaiah saw? Is your heart fixed on God? Is your attention on the Lord? Are you seeing the Lord high and lifted up, exalted, on His throne, conquering all His enemies? We start each week in public worship. If you at all can and your health allows, come. Be in the house of God. It's different. It's it's, it's better than just watching online. But if all you can do because of health reasons is join us online, thank you for joining us online. But let me urge you even at home, don't just watch at home. Worship from home. It's different. It's different. Don't just watch. Worship, even if you're at home, sing when we sing, shout when we shout, say amen when we say amen, say the Lord reigns when we say the Lord reigns, participate, engage your heart. Why? Because sometimes you have to hyper-focus to get your attention on the Lord, and it's something we learn how to do. So we start each week in worship, and we start each day in prayer. Sunday and Wednesday are not enough. What happens in this room is not enough. This is supplemental, but your daily time with God is fundamental. Amen. This is, this is extra. But what happens between you and the Lord is very important. Jesus reminds us that if we pray in secret, he will reward us openly. Amen. What are you seeing? Put on your 3D glasses in prayer. And number two, what are you saying? Say, what are you saying? Notice verse 5. After he saw the Lord, Isaiah said something. Verse 5 says, so I said... Woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Holy One, the Lord of hosts. Sometimes the problem is not what we think it is. Years ago, uh, Dr. Tony Evans tells the story of having cracks in the sheetrock in his bedroom, and so he invited a painter to come over and patch and do some paint work for him. When the painter came over and examined the wall, he turned the job down and gave Tony Evans the business card of another man, a contractor that he wanted to come and see the house. He turned down the job. He wouldn't paint it. He said, wait a minute, you're a painter. You can fill those cracks with putty and repaint the bedroom and everything will be okay. And the painter said, sir, I won't do that. Why? He said, because your problem is not the wall. Your problem is the foundation. Something underneath is shifting and moving, and that's why you see the cracks in the walls. These are the symptom, but they're not the real problem. You need to get someone out to work on the foundation. Sometimes the problem is not what we think it is. And I want to tell you, in the Christian life, that's often the case. In Isaiah's case, that's what was going on. The problem is not what he thought it was. Isaiah thought the problem was out there. Isaiah thought the problem was that King Uzziah had died. Isaiah thought the problem was that they didn't have a king anymore, that there was no political leadership, that there was no one running the government, that they were insecure and the nation was unstable and they were open to attack from their enemies. Isaiah thought the problem was out there. Say out there. But when Isaiah came to church and God pulled the curtain back and God put the 3D glasses on his eyes and he saw the holiness of God and he heard the angels decrying, crying out, holy, 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 suddenly Isaiah realized the problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. 
The problem was Isaiah's own heart. And God had to reveal that to him. Isaiah thought the problem was a dead king. But the reality was the problem was an unclean heart. He had no clear vision of God, no clear vision of himself. And that's what happens whenever we encounter God's Word. We not only need to encounter God in worship and prayer, we need to encounter God's Word through study and preaching. Hear me today. We need to encounter God's Word. God's Word has a way of doing this. Whenever you go see a counselor, if he's a good counselor, he or she, they have a knack at doing what I'm talking about right now. Whenever you come to see a counselor, you tell them what you think the problem is, and you're usually wrong. The problem's not usually what you think it is. But we call that the presenting problem, or the thing that brought you into the office, the thing that made you come and seek counseling to begin with, the presenting issue. And then the counselor's job is to see what the real issue is underneath that, and to help you see it and fix it. And if you can fix the underlying issue the surface symptom will go away. Amen. Aaron and I were talking the other night about dealing with weeds, and he said the problem in Mobile County is everybody breaks the tops off and scatters the seeds, and they don't ever get to the roots. And so you have more weeds. <laughs> yes. That's what happens in our hearts. We deal with the surface issues, and we don't deal with the roots. And what God's telling Isaiah is the problem's not what you think it is. You need to let me dig down deep you need to let God's Word do a work in your heart so that you can find out what the real problem is. What is the root issue? The problem was not that Uzziah was dead. The problem was that Isaiah had all his confidence in a human king rather than the divine king. His attention was on a man and not on God. That was the problem. The problem was not that Uzziah was dead. The problem was that Isaiah's heart was so sinful he didn't really trust God to take care of him or the issues in his country. And that's a lot like us today. I want to ask you the question today. I ask this often of Christians. Why are you so nervous? Why are you so anxious? Why are you so afraid? I understand lost people being that anxious and nervous. I understand pe people who don't know God or have a Savior being anxious and nervous. I don't understand why the people of God are so anxious and nervous. Trust the Lord. He's going to take care of us. He always has and He always will. Let me ask you today, why are we so anxious about the election results and which way they go or will be certified going? Is it because we don't trust God to really take care of our family if a certain candidate is in office or is not in office? I'm not accusing. I'm just asking. But if your heart jumped a little bit, check your heart. Don't get mad at your preacher. Am I really afraid of COVID or am I afraid of dying and standing before God because my heart's not ready to meet him? Am I irate over the political issues in our nation because we've gotten too adjusted to life here? Because we've started thinking that this world is our home and because we're no longer seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and we've forgotten that here we have no enduring city but we seek the city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God and that we are aliens and strangers in this world and this world is not our home, we're just passing through. Well, if that's true, then why are you so hot and bothered about all of it? Quiet in the hole in this church today. You see, I don't just need a regular encounter with God in prayer. I need a regular encounter with God's Word to address my heart, to go through me, to, to check me, to test me, 
to show me some things. Why? Here's why. Because God's Word has a way of doing that. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Amen. People get mad with the preacher. Don't get mad with the preacher. The preacher's just preaching the book. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just delivering what the Lord says. God's Word, though, has a way of making you mad. God's Word has a way of checking your heart. God's Word is a sword. It has a way of cutting through and laying open our hearts and showing us the truth about ourselves. And when He does that, we often get mad at the messenger. And that's what happens to us. When Isaiah heard the angel declaring God's holiness, he was suddenly made aware of his own sinfulness and the fact that his eyes were on Uzziah's empty throne rather than God's occupied throne. And so what does Isaiah do? He confesses. To confess means to say the same thing. He got honest. He came clean with God. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. God, our problem is not the government. Our problem is our hearts. God, the real issue that needs addressing is not who's going to take Uzziah's place, but when are we going to deal with the things that have cut in between us and you? Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There's two great truths in this verse. One is our heart is desperately wicked. Say wicked. If you're a human being, your heart was, it has a, you're born with a heart defect. You're born with a spiritual birth defect. You're born in sin. You're born with a heart that tends to go the wrong way. If you don't believe it, you've never raised children. You don't have to teach them how to do wrong. You have to teach them how to do right. Wrong comes natural. If you don't believe we're born in sin, put one cookie on a plate between two three-year-olds and watch the fur fly. We're born with a heart that is selfish and sinful. And the only one who can ever deal with that is the Lord Jesus. By his blood and through his spirit, he can sanctify us and, 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 and get that crooked streak out of us. But he's the only one who can do it. And the only hope for any man's desperately wicked heart is the blood and the spirit of God. Amen. Notice the second problem. It's even deeper. Not only is my heart desperately wicked, but my heart is sneaky. My heart is deceitful. Deceitful means it's dishonest. It hides things from me. In other words, my heart will conceal the truth from me. It'll hide the truth. It'll make excuses. It'll justify my sin. It will conceal my true motives. But Lord, notice verse 10. Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Proverbs 20 says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Psalm 139, the psalmist prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Why? Why does the psalmist pray for God to search him? Because God needs to know what's in him? No, God already knows what's in him. David says, Search me, not because God needs to know what's in there but because I need to know what's in there. And my heart is deceitful, and my heart is, will hide things from me, and my heart will make excuses for me, and my heart will conceal the truth about me. 
It'll let me off for doing what I shouldn't do. Or it'll let me by when I do the right thing for the wrong reason. But God can take his word and he can search my heart and he can take it and like a skillful surgeon and open it up and show me the truth is what is there. But you will never know the truth of your own heart if you are not regularly encountering God's word. And the reason some of you get so mad at the preacher on Sunday is because you won't let God get you alone with this book on Monday. And I wish you would. Because you'd realize it's between you and him, not between you and me. You'd give me a break. Listen, God's word will go through us and sift us and search us and show us the ugly truth about us. But we must regularly encounter God's word. Otherwise, it won't do any good if we don't take the medicine. Amen. Gypsy Smith, an old preacher from years ago, once met a guy who said he'd read through the Bible. He'd gone through it several times and received no help or inspiration. Gypsy Smith said, let it go through you one time and you'll tell a different story. Many of us read through the Bible every year. That's wonderful. But I want to tell you this year, don't just go through the Bible. Let the Bible go through you. And when we let God's Word go through us, and search us, and we let God speak to us through his word, it'll make all the difference. And don't read it with a shovel. You read a verse and go, oh, that's good. I wish someone so-and-so would hear that. When you open your Bible, God didn't address in so-and-so. He's addressing you. Get still before the book and quit thinking of all the other people that he's talking to. If it's open in your lap, it's you he's talking to. Hmm. <laughs> You don't think I can feel the resistance of, of your spirit, but I can. Lord, help us. What are you seeing? All the stuff on television and social media? Then put on the 3D glasses of worship and prayer, and you'll see something different. Are you fixing your gaze on Jesus? Are you focusing your attention on the Holy One and His kingdom? What are you saying, number two? Are you compromising your standards? Are you watering down God's commands? Do you sound more like the world or the word when it comes to holiness and righteousness and, and your perspective and your objective? Are you allowing God's word to go through you and unearth the hidden issues that he longs to address? Are you confessing your sins and forsaking them? Are you saying what God says about them and agreeing with him? Or are we still making excuses for ourselves? And finally, number three, the third one is, is in verse 8. He saw and then he said, in verse 8, he heard. Say, he heard. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Whenever we focus our attention on God and whenever we get our heart right with God, we can hear the voice of God. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? So many people say, I just wish I could hear from the Lord. I wish God would speak to me. Focus your attention on him. Get your heart right with him and quit arguing with him about the stuff he's trying to address in your life. And it'll get real clear real, real quick. He doesn't stutter and he speaks very clearly and very plainly. But he only speaks to those who have ears to hear. Jesus said it over and over. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, if you're listening, you'll hear. Jesus teaches us this. Jesus himself says this. John 7, 17. If anyone wills to do my will, he will know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Jesus said, if you want to do God's will, you'll hear his voice and you'll know what his will is. I don't know what God's will is. You don't want to know. Because to those who want to know and who are willing to do it, God makes it very plain very quickly. But first, you have to be willing to submit and say, God, I'm willing to do your will and go your way, whatever that is. God's not going to give you a plan and let you sign off on it or reject it. 
If that's your attitude, then you're God of your own life. He's not, and you've already rejected it. Hmm. What are you hearing? Are you hearing the voice of the Lord? If you want to hear God's voice clearly, take the first two steps. Number one, look at God. Say, look at God. Pay attention to God. Focus your heart and your energy on Him. I can tell when my children aren't listening to me because they aren't looking at me. Right? You're talking to your kid and they're over there doing this. Right? Yeah. I can tell. Oh, I'm listening. You're not listening. You're not listening because you're not looking. And so sometimes I'll tap them on their shoulder and I'll say, look me in my face while I'm talking to you. (laughs) I want to do that sometimes while I'm preaching too. If we're not looking at God, we're not listening to Him. If we are not worshiping and praying, then He doesn't have our attention. And it's no wonder we aren't hearing His voice. If you need to hear from God, spend more time in prayer. When you come to worship, don't just go through the motions, but let your heart engage and really worship Him. Get your attention on God. Look at God. And then number two, see and say. Say what God says. Agree with God. Stop arguing with God. Confess. Come clean. Be honest. Then Isaiah says you'll be able to hear the voice of the Lord. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. Isaiah 6 and 8. Notice this. Go back to 6 and 8 real quick. Pull that verse back up for me. Isaiah 6 and 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying. Say the word saying. That's important. It didn't say the Lord said. It said the Lord was saying. That matters in this case. If you look at the tense of this verb in the original Hebrew, the idea is this. God was repeating this phrase over and over again. It wasn't just God said, whom will I send and who will go for us? No, Isaiah hears God repeating over and over, whom will I send and who will go for us? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who can I send and who will go for us? God's calling repeatedly waiting for someone to answer the call. But he's saying it over and over and over. He didn't just say it. He was saying it over and over again. Isn't it interesting? In other words, God had been speaking since the beginning of Isaiah's vision. But it wasn't until God, until Isaiah saw God on his throne, and it wasn't until Isaiah got his heart cleansed that he was able to hear what God was saying. But when he did, he couldn't stop hearing it. Over and over and over, God began to say, he began to hear what God was saying, who will I send and who will go for us? What is God saying? That, what he's always said. In Exodus 3, God tells Moses that he's seen the people's affliction, heard their cry, and come down to deliver them. And then God says, now come here, Moses, that I may send you. In John 20, Jesus breathes on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Romans 10 and 14, Paul says, How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how they will believe on him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15 says, And how will he preach except he be sent? God wants to send somebody on his mission during this next upcoming year. But we'll never hear his call if we don't get our heart right and we don't spend some time focused on him. If you want to hear the voice of God, focus on him in prayer and worship. And let God's word go through you this year. And you will hear God. And God will be calling you. He will be calling you to join him on mission in what he's doing in the world around you. Listen, my time in worship in the word must lead to a life of work and witness in the world. Or it's not doing what it's supposed to do. If what we do on Sunday 
doesn't go further than Sunday. If what happens in the building stays in the building, then it isn't really worship. And if what happens in my quiet time doesn't change me once I get up from the chair, then it wasn't real. But if I'm really encountering God in prayer and his word is really going through me, then it will matter the way I live my life the rest of the day. And other people around me will be benefited because of it. Who will I send and who will go for us? Wow. At the beginning of the chapter, Isaiah has a problem and God is the only answer. But at the end of the chapter, God has a problem and Isaiah is the answer. I need someone to go for me. And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Lord, I'll be the solution to that problem because you've been the solution to my problem. And I want to tell you what our community needs in 2021 more than it ever has before is we need some people who will walk in this building and let God be the solution to their problem and get their stuff straight and get their heart clean and let God's word address them. And then we need to walk out of that door and we need to go be the solution to somebody else's problem. And we need to take the message of Jesus and his love and go encounter them and help bring them to the answer that you and I have found. Isaiah learned the fire of God will not only bring purity of heart, it'll bring power for service. So as Chad comes and helps me close this morning, I want to ask you three questions. Isaiah saw and he said and he heard. So what are you seeing? Say seeing. Do you have your 3D glasses on this morning? Or are you so caught up in the fray and the noise and the distraction of the news events around you that you've lost sight of God in eternity? Pastor, you just don't believe that any of those things matter. I believe they matter, but I don't believe they're ultimate. And five minutes after you leave this world and stand before God, you will agree with me. And my assignment is to convince you before you get there that I'm right. If anything, the COVID-19 crisis should have taught us, it is that anybody can leave this world any week. Some of you nearly left it. Some of you have loved ones who did leave it. So let the world fight Monday through Saturday about politics and stimulus checks and all that other stuff. But my blessed Lord in heaven, can't we have one morning where we come in here and we get our eyes off all of that and we lift up our eyes and see the king high and exalted and seated on the throne and we remind ourselves and one another that there's an occupied throne in heaven and our omnipotent king sits on it and rules and reigns and he has an overwhelming holiness and that the greatest problem of our lives and our culture is not anything to do with our political situation but it is the fact that people's hearts are not right with their God and focus on that and the only way we can join God in setting that right in the world is if we start like Isaiah did by letting him set it right in us God doesn't start at the White House he starts at the church house and he starts at our house because we're the people called by his name. So we're the ones who humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. And if we will do that, then he will change things out there. But it starts right here, right now, with us. Stand with me all over God's house.
The only way to keep your glasses on and not lose focus is to commit yourself to the discipline of public worship and private prayer. At the beginning of the new year, our church adds another discipline to that. We add the discipline of fasting. Beginning today, going through the 24th, the fourth Sunday of this month, our church commits itself to fasting and prayer. We take some deliberate time every day to spend with God in prayer. And we decide what we will fast. People do it different ways. Some people fast completely the first day. Some the first three days. Some people take one meal and they fast it during the season. Some people give up a certain thing. Some people do the Daniel fast. They don't eat sweets or drink strong drinks. We already don't drink strong drinks, amen? But some people go a step further and give up caffeine and those kinds of things. And they don't eat meat. Where do you get that from? The book of Daniel. The Daniel fast. Daniel chapter 3. Go back and read it. Whatever you do is between you and the Lord. If it moves you, it'll move God. And if the sacrifice matters to you, it'll matter to the Lord. The point is not to lose weight. The point is not to get physically healthy. That's a diet, not a fast. A fast is when I deliberately say no to my flesh and deprive it of something that it cries out for to cultivate the discipline of learning how to draw joy and strength and comfort from God rather than from the things of this earth. And it's a good discipline to learn. And if you can say no to your flesh over a chocolate chip cookie, you can say no to your flesh over some other things. Because the same no muscle that works in fasting also works in temptation. So build your no muscle up and fast with us during the first three weeks of this year. It's good for you. What are you seeing? You'll see God if you'll focus on Him in prayer and worship. If you need a hard reset, fast with us. Whatever you do, don't put it on Facebook. Jesus is pretty clear about that. When you fast, you do it privately between you and the Lord. So I don't want to see it all over your social media. If you're going to put it all over Facebook, you just better go ahead and get the biggest, sloppiest hamburger they've got across the street. Because it's not going to do you any good. If you're going to showboat about it, you've already got your reward, Jesus said. It's private. It's between you and the Lord. That also means you don't know what somebody else is doing. So if you see a chocolate chip cookie in my hand, mind your business. I may not have given up what you gave up. <laughs> He's drinking a cup of coffee. He may be giving up slapping people, and you might want to leave that coffee in his hand. Hallelujah. Stay in your own lane. The fast is between you and the Lord, not you and your neighbor. Amen. But you will see God clearly if you will focus on him in prayer and worship and add the discipline of fasting to it. Number two, what are you saying? Your thought life and your moral values are being shaped by some outside force, either the world or the Word of God. One of those is putting pressure on your life. In reality, they both are. The only way that the world will not squeeze you into its shape from the outside is if you have enough of God's Word on the inside pushing back that you don't get bent out of shape by the world. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's Word will help you do that. Number three, finally, what are you hearing? 
Do you need to hear the voice of the Lord? You won't hear God if you're not focused on Him. If you're not looking, you're not listening. And you won't hear what God is saying if you're too busy arguing with Him about the sin and baggage in your life that He's trying to address. So let's fast and pray, and then let's trust and obey. The ushers gave you a little worksheet when you walked in today. I'm not going to take it up. I don't want you to leave it in the offering bucket. I'm not going to check it to see if you did it. It's not a pop quiz. It's something for you to take home with you and to fill out. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he looked up and saw God. He looked in and saw himself. And he looked out and saw the world God wanted him to impact with his name. And I want to ask you to make a commitment in all three of those areas. Number one, how are you going to look up in the new year? What commitment are you going to make as far as prayer and fasting goes? And it asks you for a time and a place. Because if you don't have a designated time and place to pray, you won't do much praying. So when and where are you going to have a daily appointment with God? Fill that in. Number two, looking in. What is your plan to let God's Word go through you this year? What are you going to do to let God's Word impact you? Get on a Bible reading plan. Open your version app. There's a ton of them there. My favorite one, the one-year Bible reading plan. Take you through the whole Bible in one year. A little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament every day. That way you don't get bogged down and quit. There's a lot of Genesis read in January, right? A lot of Genesis read in January. And a lot of people leave in Leviticus, right? Yeah. And the numbers drop in numbers. People quit reading the Bible about there. A plan like that will have you reading both Old and New Testament at the same time so you don't get bogged down and quit. Whatever you do, maybe just read through the New Testament this year. Whatever you do, find a way to let God's Word go through your heart this year. And number three, what are you going to do to engage in mission? What are you going to do to work for God? How are you going to serve the Lord this year? Write it down. How are you going to witness? Write down the names of some people that you're praying to see them come to Christ this new year. And then pray for them and share with them when you get an opportunity to. What are you seeing? What are you saying? What are you hearing? Would you bow your heart and let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I love you. And I thank you for your people today who gathered because they love you. And I pray today, God, that you'd meet us. That, Lord these closing moments of this service, these opening moments of the new year, that, Lord, we would focus our hearts and minds and attention on you. And, Lord, right now, let us make a fresh commitment that, Lord, we're going to be found in your house every chance we get. And we're going to be found in prayer every day. You're going to have a moment with us where you can have our attention. And, Lord, we're making a commitment today that your word is going to go through our lives this year. And we're going to be open and honest and allow you to address in us anything you need to address. And we're going to let you work on us and get our hearts right. Lord, you're going to take your word and reveal it. And you're going to take the the coal of your spirit and the fire of your spirit. And you're going to burn out the impurities. And you're going to purge us and make us clean. We're going to let you. And Lord, we're going to hear your voice calling us to do something of significance for the kingdom this year. Serving, working, witnessing. And Lord, we're going to obey you and join you in what you're doing in the world. We're going to be your church. We're going to be your people. And we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.